Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Psalm 31, the whole thing. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. In your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out for you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm I said, I'm cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Then we have two readings from Acts. The first one is in Acts 6, verses 8 to 15. Acts 6, 8 to 15. I just need to find that. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witness uh, who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Uh, the next reading and last one is Acts 7, 51 to 60. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. 
Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, ha- you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelled. Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed to him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Thanks for reading, Lauren. Uh, Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you. Happy New Year, 2021. It's nice to see you. Um, Before we open the word and get stuck into it, I just want you to turn to the person next to you and... Share with them something in response to this. What was the best or the worst gift you got at Christmas last year? It wasn't that long ago. You should be able to remember. What was the best, what was the worst gift you got last year? Um, have a quick chat to the person next to you, and then we'll get stuck into the word. Have a quick chat to the person around you. Go. <laughs> Sounds like you got a lot of good things for Christmas, maybe. I won't ask you to, uh, you know, sort of feedback today about what the good and bad things you got, because maybe the person who gave you that bad gift is sitting next to you, so we don't want to have any sort of dramas today. I uh, should have introduced, I'm Simon, or Jacko, I'm the lead pastor here, and so uh, if you're new or visiting today, really special and warm welcome to you. I do hope that you've got your Bible open in front of you um, to Acts 6 and 7. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, we've got these Bibles, these black ones, these are our church Bibles, but they... Now, if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we'd love to give you this Bible, one of these Bibles, so you can take away and read the Word of God and um, meet the God who loves you and laid his life down for you. Um, so please grab that. There's a spare one up the front if you want. But um, uh, We should pray as we come uh, to the Word of God this morning and this new year. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. We pray especially, uh, Father, we thanks this morning for Jesus. Father, we praise you that uh, we meet in his name, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Uh, Father, the name that we need to confidently, we need to trust in, Father, for salvation. Father, we also give you thanks that we are able to meet this morning together in person on this first Sunday of 2021. Father, we recognise that brothers and sisters all around the world, for all kinds of reasons, aren't able to do what we get to do. We don't, they don't have the freedom to do it, and whether that's a lack of freedom because they are in living in the light of and in the face of real and daily persecution... Oh, Father, we just remember those particularly this morning who are unable to meet together because of COVID-19. Brothers and sisters near, uh, Father, whether that's Victoria or New South Wales, uh, Father, and brothers and sisters further away, London, South Africa, places like that. So we praise you and thank you for the freedom we have uh, to meet together, to enjoy your word together, to learn from you. And so we pray, Father, that as we do now, turn our hearts affections and our minds attention to your word father we pray that you would speak to us Uh, father set us up we pray 
for a year where we live as faithful followers of Jesus with the help of your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How was your Christmas? How was your Boxing Day? How was your New Year? I mean, Boxing Day and Christmas feel like so long ago already. Um, was it mostly good, New Year's? I was in bed at 11 on you know, New Year's Eve until I was woken by my daughter Stella at midnight. Dad, it's the New Year! Smooches all over my face. Then I went to sleep. It was great. Yeah, um, Mostly good. Um, I suspect for some of us, the parties kind of are rolling on a little bit. More parties to get to. Um, anyone still partying? No, that's great. No, no, there you go. Anyone watching the cricket? I stopped watching the cricket after the last test. Figured we're not going to go so well next time, so I've kind of given up on Australian cricket. No. Um, for a lot of us, right, the days after Christmas, like including Boxing Day and the days that have gone, it's an opportunity, right, to, I don't know, collate, curate all the gifts that we got given, you know, before and on Christmas Day, and to work out what are we going to do with the gifts. I know my kids are busily counting all the gifts they got just to make sure they each got the same number, and uh, they're sort of now spread out all over our house. But, uh, you know, I guess which of the gifts you're going to keep, which of the gifts you're going to kind of maybe, you know, re-gift, you know, maybe next Christmas or into the new year, I don't know. Um, I... Boxing Day has always, Boxing Day's always been one of my favourite days, and it was a little, day, a little while ago. Boxing Day has always been one of my favourite days of the year. Um, and uh, there are always, there's all kind of theories, right, about Boxing Day. Anyone know what Boxing Day, where it all came from? Does anyone know that? Yeah? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that was what, so yeah, that's right, exactly right. So one theory for Boxing Day was that you would pack up, package up all your leftovers from Christmas Day into boxes, and then you would kind of give them as charitable gifts to the poor and to the needy. Another theory was it was the day where you would give boxed gifts to like faithful workers that had served you during the year. So you'd give a box gift to like your baker or your fruiterer or your butcher. For us around here, right, you give a box gift to your barista, right? That's what you do, um, who served you throughout the year. And of course, in our day and age, right, Boxing Day is an opportunity to re-box the gifts and work out which ones you're going to take back to the shops if you didn't really kind of want them. Um, and yet, of course, right, for us, the real gift of Christmas is the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the real gift. And we're hardly going to re-box or box up the Lord Jesus Christ, are we? We've been given the wonderful counsel, the Prince of Peace, the mighty God has come amongst us. He's come from riches to rags. God has come to dwell with us in the flesh, taken on our trials and our pains and our joys and our sorrows and our weaknesses. He shared in it all that he might save us from our sins. We have the one who is the Savior. We have been given Christ the Lord. That's all the terminology, right? We were using through Advent and then Christmas and then into the new year. God has shown us his favour that we would have peace and joy. And we know full well that that is a great gift and none of us, I hope, are going to return him or rebox him. So this first Sunday, 2021, I want us to think about what's it going to look like for us to take receipt of this Christmas gift. God gave you his son. What are you going to do with that extraordinary gift? 
To help us answer that, we're going to turn to the life of Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. A couple of parts that Lauren read for us just before. Um, In some parts of the world, and in the tradition that I actually kind of came from a little bit when I became a Christian, um, Boxing Day is known as St. Stephen's Day. Um, There's a little thing called the the Book of Common Prayer, or the Prayer Book, and it's called St. Stephen's Day on the day after Christmas, and it's subtitled, Faithful Unto Death, the day after Christmas. I think it seems like a really fitting summary of what it means for us to receive the gift of Christ. So God gave you his son. Will you be faithful with that gift? As we look at Acts 6 and 7, and we look at Stephen this morning, three questions. Firstly, if you're a note taker, here are the questions. Will you be faithful in action? Secondly, will you be faithful to God on his terms? And third, will you be faithful to death? Faithful in action, will you be faithful to God on his terms, will you be faithful to death? First then, will you be faithful in action? Hope you've got Acts chapter 6 and 7 open in front of you. Stephen's life, Stephen, so if you want a really quick sort of potted history of the Bible to this point, God creates the world, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we reject God's loving rule for our life, Genesis 3, everything goes pear-shaped. The whole of the Old Testament, right, from Genesis chapter 3 right to Malachi or Malachi, the first Italian prophet, um, you go all the way through, right, all the Old Testament, we're looking for one person, one person who'll be born of a woman, sinless, to come into the world to crush the head of the serpent forever. And so Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, all the way through the Old Testament, right, we're looking for that one person born of a woman who will come and crush and deal with evil once and for all. So you go through all of that history, and then you get to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is that one person, sinless saviour, born of a virgin, comes to the cross, crushes Satan, bam, gone, rises, he dies to do that, rises to new life, ascends to the right hand of God the Father, pours out his spirit. There's the Bible up until Acts chapter 1. Genesis 1. I mean, there you go. You've come to church. Maybe you've learned something. I don't know. Genesis 1, Acts 1. That's the story. And then Jesus ascends to the right hand of God and pours out his spirit, and the church is born. And so Stephen is one of these newborn followers of Jesus who we meet in Acts chapter 6. And he's a man who is faithful to Jesus in both word and deed. So Acts chapter 6, verse 5, if you have it in front of you, just before our Bible reading, Stephen's described as a man who is full of faith in the Holy Spirit. In chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen is described as full of God's grace and power. When the word says full of, it means being under the control of, being consumed by. We might describe, you might describe people as, you know, consumed with negativity and bitterness. That person is just always consumed with bitterness Not Stephen, he's consumed with faith, God's power and the Holy Spirit. He's gripped by the goodness and the grace of God. And the work of the Holy Spirit in his life leads him to faithful action. So when Stephen is appointed as a deacon, a fancy word for servant in chapter 6, verse 5. So in the story, right, the apostles, these key leaders of the church, have been teaching, preaching, and praying 
and stacks of people are being converted, coming to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. This growing body of believers at the beginning of Acts is, is kind of, they've got all kinds of issues, economic issues, relational issues, spiritual issues. So they bring in some structure to help organise this growing church. The trouble was, right, the apostles who are wanting to be out there preaching, teaching, and praying are kind of consumed by looking after all the needs of this growing church. So the apostles are finding themselves overwhelmed by people's needs, was distracting them from preaching and teaching and praying. See, they knew, right, it was not right to neglect that work of teaching, praying, and preaching. They also knew it wasn't right to neglect the physical needs of the poor, So the apostles appoint Stephen and six others as deacons to get on with that work of of caring for the physical needs of this church. And Stephen excels, right? We hear how he did great wonders and signs. His faithfulness to Christ meant doing good, but not as an alternative to speaking about Christ. Do you notice in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, we see that Stephen's faithful life and faithful service gets him into all kinds of trouble. We see that Stephen's good works are impeachable and his spirit-filled wisdom and persuasive words mean that his enemies are forced in chapter 6 verse 11 to start making up lies because they actually can't counter him. Yes, Stephen was commissioned to care for the poor, but he understood that faith in action is actually works and deeds that honour Jesus. For many in the church today, works and words have become sort of an either-or choice. Stephen, who was a follower of Christ, sees that the two are inseparable, words and works. And it goes all the way back, right, to how God operated at the very beginning. So back in creation, God speaks a word and works come that are good Works and words have always gone together in God's creation for good. And so it is with anyone under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit. So God gave you his son. Will you be faithful in action? It's an invitation from the living God to combine both words and works, just as Stephen did. Uh, A friend of mine um, at his church has this ministry that he didn't start but is running. It's called Stitch and Mission. Stitch and Mission. It's a quilting group. I'm thinking 2021, City Light Church, North Adelaide, Stitch and Mission. And Josh Ridley is going to head it up. There you go. Um, No, no, maybe not. But anyway, it's really great. Stitch and Mission, right? People who get together to stitch quilts and then they make sure those quilts get passed on to people in need. At this French church, they stitch and mission quilts and they give them to special needs children. It's really great, so good. But you know, it's not all about works, right? Just stitching and doing that sort of stuff. One quilt maker said this about the leader of her group, quote, Linda began each session sharing the scriptures and leading in prayer. She wasn't hesitant or cautious about the number of visitors present because those who came along weren't just Christian people. There's people there wanting to, to do good. And yet it was infused by, inspired by the word and prayer. It's really creative, right? I mean, pardon the pun. Why? It's, a, it's a really creative way of, of combining word and works, turning a passion into something that benefits others and, and brings glory to God. 
I don't know, speaking sort of off the cuff here a little bit, but you know, like um, last year when we used to meet at the Presbyterian Church, we used to have our sort of fortnightly sort of community dinners together and sort of COVID and moving here, we've sort of put pause on that because of, you know, some issues to do with, you know, getting used to the new space, but also, you know, just being sort of COVID safe. We'll summarise it that way. We haven't really instituted it again. But I think it's an opportunity for us, maybe as of February, to kind of press play back on our community sort of times together. Won't be dinners because there'll be a long pause right after church. We've been waiting for a long time. But maybe like a community lunch. And I wonder if there's an opportunity for us to not just do lunch together as a, a family here, but also throw the doors open to members of our community that we might see others welcomed in and fed and cared for. Um, not just simply providing food, but maybe a word from the Bible spoken up the front, a little bit of prayer, and then obviously great one-to-one conversations that can happen where the gospel could be shared with people from our community. I don't know, just putting it out there. And, and you know, public announcement here as well. Our food ministry is in need of a leader. And so if the Lord is moving in your heart in a way that you might want to take that on, please come and talk to me, talk to Lauren. Um, we love you know, someone who's got a heart, for, who loves food. I mean, who doesn't love food? I love food. But uh, someone who loves food, loves community, would help facilitate that. You don't have to cook for everyone. That's the other thing on that one. But yeah, you go, word, word, and words put together. If we are to be faithful in action in 2021, let's be, let's be aware that we don't want to separate works from the word. But seek to creatively and meaningfully combine the two. There's endless number of things there. And one last thing, just thinking about our DGs. Our DGs are our mainstay, are really, you know, the backbone really of our church family and our life together. And I don't know, in my time in discipleship group, we call it DGs, in all the little groups that I've been involved with since I've been a Christian, most of the groups I've been involved with have been really strong on the word, but have perhaps been a little weaker on the works caring for people, not just in the group, but beyond. And I wonder if we could just, as we think through DGs in 2021, let's combine the word and the works together. That's just, I'm just putting it out there. You can come and say, we already do that, Simon. You know, what are you talking about? I'm like, I want to come to your group. No. Um, God gave you his son. Let's be faithful in action, point one. Point two, will you be faithful to God on his terms? Will you be faithful to God on his terms? You see, Stephen's faith in action led to his trial and ultimately to his murder. Essentially, when we cut out a lengthy part of the speech that Stephen gave in response to the accusations, which you can read later, essentially his trial circles around faithfulness to God on his terms or faithfulness to God on, or faithfulness to, on, on our terms. See, Stephen is charged with blasphemy. He's accused of being unfaithful to God. Have a look, chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. Look down at your Bible. They produced, it says, false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now you go, what is going on here? Stephen is charged and tried for not being faithful to God. For not being faithful to God on, in terms of religious and legal customs. That is, he hasn't been faithful to God on their terms, those who are accusing him, on human terms. 
And Stephen's response to these accusations is not so much a defense, he actually kind of counter-accuses and goes on the attack. If you read through the speech, it's not really a defense at all, it's actually an attack. According to Stephen, the ones who have been faithless are the members of the Sanhedrin, the leaders of of the Jewish church that are accusing him. So he points out, right, the history. God's people have always rejected the way God has revealed himself. So chapter 7, verse 9 of the book of Acts points out how Joseph, one of the earliest saviors of God's people in the book of Genesis, how Joseph was rejected by his jealous brothers, sold into slavery, but through God, God used him to rescue his people. Stephen then moves on to Moses, another father, patriarch, and talks about how Moses, chapter 7, verse 35, was rejected by the enslaved people of Israel. But again, he was God's chosen leader and saviour who would bring God's people to freedom from slavery in Egypt. And even after that experience, that freedom, and this is perhaps the most hurtful point that Stephen brings out, even after that experience, freedom and deliverance from slavery, what do they do to Moses in chapter 7, verse 39? It says, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. So Stephen's being accused of being faithless, and Stephen says, no, 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 no. Your customs, he says to the people accusing him, have never been grounded in obeying God. They've always been about you trying to fit God into your terms. That's the history of God's people. You can read it throughout the Old Testament. And he drives the point home to his immediate audience like a nail going into timber. Chapter 7, verse 52 the fathers who predict the, the fathers killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, who you now murdered. And he even says to them, right, your defense, even of the temple, your whole temple worship system is just a blasphemous attempt to dictate terms to God. See, God has never been bound to a building. Chapter 7, verse 40, Stephen recounts how God used to travel around with his people in different lands. He was in a tent before he was in a temple. And even a temple can't contain the living God. Chapter 7, verse 48, the Most High, Stephen says, does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What's Stephen doing in this speech? What's what's going on? Well, Stephen's drawing a line in the sand, right? Whether we'll be faithful to God on his terms or whether we'll be faithful to the terms we like to make up. Whether we try to square, you know, where we try to squeeze God into our mold, which often just looks like a little bit like me and my preferences. You see, God gave us his son. Will you be faithful to him on his terms? See, the problem with the Sanhedrin, these leaders accusing Stephen, wasn't that they hadn't heard God. Chapter 751, the the problem is that they've always had uncircumcised hearts and ears. They'd always resisted the Holy Spirit. To call someone uncircumcised in this context is to say, basically, actually, you're just like all the pagans out there. You have no knowledge of God. You have no hope in God. You have no relationship with God. That's how they listen to the word of God, says Stephen. 
Oh, sure, they'd heard God's word. They'd read God's word. It was handed down to them, chapter 7, verse 53, but they never received the word of God with the relationship it came with. They always made God to fit in with them. I mean, that was them. Now, we ought to not be too smug, right, and think, well, crazy Israelites back in the Old Testament, I would never have done that. Idolatry is the default mode of all of our hearts. Our hearts are idol factories, 24-7. We're always inclined to make God fit with our agenda and fit God into our terms. I wonder if you've noticed that in the way that you read the Bible. Maybe not all the time, but, but sometimes how it creeps in. I find it when I read the Bible. When we, read the, when we read the Bible, sometimes we, at least for me, I'm drawn to the parts that I like, the clear parts, the easy bits, the, the bits we know really well that basically just kind of confirm and reconfirm what I already believe to be true about God. But if that's all I ever do, then the Word of God really isn't reforming me. It's not shaping me. I'm just delighting in the kind of life that I live. The goal when we read the Bible... The easy bits, the hard bits, the discomforting bits, the challenging bits is to be reformed and reshaped into the likeness of Jesus. And it's a chance for me as a creature to relate to my creator on his terms. A great test that someone taught me, you might already do this, um, was... uh, to open your Bible and to start reading and you read through a verse, right? And halfway through the verse, you stop and you cover it. Like, so you read half the verse, you cover the balance of the verse, I don't know, with your finger or a piece of paper or, you know, a bookmark if you're old-fashioned. I don't know, but you, you cover it up, right? And then you put your finger over it and then you think in your mind, how would I finish that sentence? How would I finish that verse? It's an opportunity, right, to expose where our thinking might be different to God. It's not an opportunity to go, ha see, I got it exactly right. I'm so awesome. It's an opportunity to see where perhaps my thinking, my heart is different to the thoughts and the heart of God. It's us thinking like God. Give it a go. God gave us his son. Will you be faithful with that? Will you receive Jesus on his terms? Thirdly, will we be faithful to death? If you know anything about Stephen, the most striking thing about him is not so much his life, not so much his speech, but it's his death. It's a very memorable death. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54, we find that the courtroom These false accusations, this courtroom becomes a lynch mob. Chapter 7, verse 54. Stephen's spoken all these things. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You see, Stephen, Stephen understood that receiving Christ was a call to be faithful and to be faithful even unto death. He understood what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. I think the words are on the screen. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. They're pretty remarkable words, aren't they? Stephen understood that. He comprehended it. He didn't just take it to heart, right? He actually copied Jesus in death. There are all sorts of parallels in the death of Stephen with the death of the Lord of all, Jesus Christ. The charges of blasphemy against the law and the temple levelled at Stephen were exactly the same pretty much as those levelled at Jesus. Both of their trials were unjust in their outcomes and largely dependent on lies. Both of them were taken outside the city gates to be killed. Hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. You see the parallel as we read Acts chapter 7. As the stones and the rocks belted Stephen's body, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And hanging on the cross, what did Jesus pray? He prayed forgiveness for his murderers, for they did not know what they were doing. Acts 7, verse 60, Then Stephen fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, he died. Stephen Stephen has been so reformed by the life and the person and the teaching and the death of Christ, so impacted by the gift of Jesus that he was willing to be faithful unto death. He simply didn't die for Jesus. Stephen died like Jesus. It's often said, right, that a pet is not just for Christmas but for life. You've heard that before? Anyone get a pet this year? The Jones has got a pet early, little Arlo, but, you know. Anyone get a pet? Anyone get a puppy or a kitten? No. That's good. Yeah, there you go. I'm not really a pet guy. Um, but the idea behind that, you know, a puppy's not just for Christmas, right? The, the idea is that, you know, you give someone a puppy and it's really cute and you hopefully don't leave it in a box wrapped up for too long, but you pop the box open, this little puppy jumps out. Oh, it's so cute. The, the reality is you've got to look after that puppy for a long time. You've got responsibilities. How much more if you received Christ at Christmas? If we took Jesus seriously at his word, we would see that Christ is not just a gift for Christmas. He's a gift until death. Jesus is a gift for life. Three quick things, therefore, about what this might mean for us. It's like a three-point sermon with an extra three points tacked into the bottom. There you go. Just a bonus, you know. There you go. What, what, if Jesus is not just a gift for Christmas, but he's a gift for life, what does this mean for us? And if Stephen models to us what it means not just to live for Jesus, but to die like Jesus, what does it mean for you and me who follow in those same footsteps? Well, here's the first one. Daily dying is ordinary and normal for those who have received Jesus. Daily dying for Christ is ordinary and normal for those of us Christians if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. You know, sure, what, what Stephen did was extraordinary, but it's just the extraordinary end of what's a very ordinary Christian thing. It's extraordinary, right? Because not many of us are probably going to face death for Christ in 2021. Some of us may, though. Who knows? 
But the 20th century, right, the last century saw more martyrs for the Lord Jesus Christ in that one century than all of the centuries prior to that. Not all will go to the same end like Stephen, imitating Jesus in that way. But the ordinary Christian, you and me, we are called to a daily dying. Remember Jesus' words? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He's not saying, you know, if you follow me, you must die instantly. You've got to go out and get yourself martyred pronto, you know. If you want, no, if you, if you want to come after Jesus, we're called to deny ourselves. Daily dying to ourselves is just normal for the follower of Jesus. Someone broke it down into five S's for me. It was probably a preacher because that's what preachers do, right? Five S's of what it looks like to daily die to Jesus. Um, S number one, submission. Two, sacrifice. Three, self-denial. Four, suffering. Five, service. You got all those? Tests at the door on the way out. Yeah. Five S's. Submission. Where we actively choose to put other people before ourselves. Where we neglect our own rights for the sake of others. Sacrifice. Where we give. Where we're generous in such a way that it kind of hurts us a little bit. Goes beyond what's comfortable. We feel the cost. Self-denial. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we don't act on those selfish impulses. Suffering, right? Rather than doing those things that will guarantee us esteem and accolades in the public sphere, we're willing to be mocked for following Jesus. And service. We do what helps others. Submission, sacrifice, self-denial, suffering, Service, five S's for 2021. And remember, right, if you kind of do those things, right, that daily dying stuff, most people aren't even going to notice out there. But you know who will? The one who really matters. Your Lord and Saviour Jesus who laid down his life for you. So daily dying is normal. It's ordinary. Second quick thing about daily dying, daily dying is good as it bears witness to our world of a fuller life. You know, like so Martin, right, being willing to die clearly demonstrates that there is something greater to live for, greater, something greater is on offer for us to live for. That's what Stephen's doing before the Sanhedrin. In the face of these significant leaders, right, as they rage with all this power, as they like gnash their teeth before, imagine that picture, right, gnashing their teeth before Stephen. What does Stephen do? As they're raging, as they're gnashing their teeth, as they're raging with all their fury, Stephen looks to the glory of Christ in heaven. Stephen has this certainty in the face of death. His, he has his willingness to die for his convictions about God, his ability to pray whilst getting pounded with stones. All that testifies to the fact that he is living for something bigger, something more worth living for, something worth dying for. And every time you and I daily die, we're testifying to something better and bigger and more beautiful to come. It's so different, right, to the way that our world thinks. 
Our world kind of says, you've only got one life. Don't throw it away. School chaplain, I know, was one day sharing um, with a group of year 10s at the school that he was working at um, the story of Polycarp. Anyone heard of Polycarp before? He was a second century martyr Christian. Um, Polycarp was similar to Stephen, right? Famously tried, right? And, you know, during his trial, he was called, renounce your faith in Jesus or you will die. And his response, 86 years, fellas, I've served him and he's done me no wrong. Shall I now revile the king who saved me? He threatened again, renounce, recount your faith or we will burn you. That was what they were saying to Polycarp. Polycarp responded, he said, this is beautiful. You frighten me with a fire that will burn for an hour. You forget a fire of hell that will never burn out. The chaplain's telling this to his students, right, thinking this is going to inspire these young people, it's going to give them courage and conviction, but the response really surprised him. They thought Polycarp was an idiot. They argued, you've only got one life, sir. Hold on to it. It's how we think in the flesh, right? But our willingness to deny ourselves speaks to the world that there is something we value more. And that, that will just by nature challenge the world around us. And no doubt lead to conversations. The third and the final thing of daily dying to self, if we're faithful unto death, is this. We will face persecution ready to forgive. Just like Stephen, just like Christ. Martin Luther said that the mark of the true church was suffering. The mark of the true church was suffering. If I was having a beer with Martin, um, he, was, he liked a beer, Martin Luther. If I was having a beer with him, I'd say, hmm, really? I'm not sure about that. Let me just say, Martin, I, I think the mark of a true church is not just suffering, but how we suffer. The truly faithful, like Christ, like Stephen, forgive their persecutors. Isn't it striking that Jesus spoke those words of forgiveness while the nails were in his hands and his feet? He didn't say, hey, hey, wait, fellas, look, remove the nails from my hands, remove that big nail from my feet, and then we'll talk about forgiveness. He didn't say that, did he? You're saying with Stephen, fellas, when you put your stones down, when you stop pelting me with the big rocks, then I'll offer forgiveness. No, it's in the midst of pain that forgiveness is offered. It's remarkable. Same for you and me. In the midst of pain, forgiveness is offered. And maybe that'll be seen in the way we pray. I mean, how do you pray for Richard Dawkins, God's favourite atheist? How do you pray for him? How do, you, how do you pray for that colleague at work who kind of mocks you, gives you a hard time for being a follower of Jesus? For the friend who stopped inviting you to parties, that friend who didn't invite you to New Year's Eve this year? How do you pray for the family member who wrote you off because you follow Jesus? How do you pray for them? Again, my sort of Anglican heritage draws me back to the you know, the collect, the little prayer that you would pray if you're an Anglican, 
you know, blue blood Anglican on St. Stephen's Day. And here's the prayer. It's coming up. Is it there? Hey, oh, you can't really see it. There you go. I was going to get us to read it out, but we can't quite get the, the big bit. How about I, I'll read it out to you. This is the prayer. You pray in St. Stephen's Day. Lord Jesus Christ, grant that in all our sufferings, in witness to your truth, we may learn to look steadfastly to heaven and see by faith the glory that is to be revealed and filled with the Holy Spirit may learn to pray for our persecutors as Stephen, your first martyr, prayed for his murderers to you, blessed Jesus, where you stand at the right hand of God to aid all who suffer for you, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. Is that the kind of prayer that I pray for people who do me wrong? Is that the kind of prayer for the one... It is the kind of prayer for the one who is faithful to Christ, even unto death. Always seeking the good of those, even those who do us evil. A constant readiness to forgive our enemies is the mark that Jesus wasn't simply a gift at Christmas, but that he's a gift for life. So, brothers and sisters, God gave you his son. What are you going to do with that gift in 2021? Will you be faithful? Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we praise you and thank you afresh this morning for your great gift of Jesus. A wonderful counsellor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, the one who's come to save us from our sins, Emmanuel, God with us. We praise you for the gift of Christ. And we realise afresh this morning that he is a gift that we did not deserve. For as we've even thought this morning, we, we men and women who've turned our back on you and thinking we can run this race called life without you, but we praise you that you've stepped into our lives in the person of Jesus. Father, by your spirit, you've opened our eyes to hear, see, and love Jesus and to receive him as a good gift. Father, we pray that this year, 2021, we would be men and women who truly see Jesus as a gift for life. So Lord, help us by your spirit to be faithful in action. Father, to, to combine word and works together for the good of ourselves, our church, and our neighbours. Father, help us to be men and women who are faithful to you on your terms. For the knowing that in your word and on your terms we find life and light and love. And Father, help us as well, Father, to again not simply receive Jesus as a gift at Christmas, but to receive him as a gift for life even unto death. And Father, we do remember right at this moment men and women around the world um, who, for them, the imminent loss of their life of following Jesus is real. We pray that you'd give them great courage and strength in the face of adversity and may they inspire us like Stephen to be bold, to be loving. And Father, even in the face of persecution and our enemies, Father, to forgive. And Father, as we live lives of faithfulness to you, energised by your Spirit, we pray that men and women around us would just see how good Jesus is.
and that you'd use us, that through us many would come to Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.